story eight of the human boy in the war by eden philpotts this librivox recording is in the public domain story eight the prize poem things were beastly dull at merivale when we went back after the christmas holidays and i believe even the doctor felt it of course from our point of view his life must always be deadly but i suppose he gets a certain amount of feeble excitement into it in ways not known to us it's rather interesting to wonder what old people do find worth doing yet they must do something to amuse themselves off and on or they go mad i should think which they seldom do the amusements of a very old person must be rather weird yet they clearly like to be alive for when my grandmother died she was eighty a time of life when you'd think there was simply nothing left yet when i went to say farewell to her she told me she hoped to see the spring flowers once more she didn't but it shows how fearfully hard up old people must be for amusement of any kind for who on earth would want to see flowers spring or otherwise if practically everything else had not been lost to them myself i would much rather have died years before than eat the food my grandmother ate and never go out except in a bath chair but she found it good enough strange to say so no doubt dr dunstan who is entirely active and can eat meat and drink wine and walk rapidly about still finds being head of merivale school all right but the winter term was deadly what with the bad weather and the slow progress of the war and losing most of our football matches owing to having a very weak team then old peacock of all men the new master i mean got an idea and fortescue thought it was a good one and peacock proposed it to the doctor and dr dunstan agreed to it in fact he announced it after chapel during the third week of february in these words our new friend dr peacock has made a proposal to me and i have great pleasure not only in agreeing with him but in congratulating him on a very happy thought suspecting that there might be mute inglorious miltons among us a sanguine hope i cannot share mr peacock has thought it would add an interest to the term and wake a measure of enthusiasm and energy in the ranks of our versifiers if we initiate a competition he suggests a prize poem upon the subject of the war and while my heart misgives me yet i bow to mr peacock's generous proposal you are invited one and all of you from the greatest to the least to write a prize poem on the subject of the war and if such a momentous theme fails to produce some notable addition to our war poetry then mr peacock's disappointment will be considerable he trusts you to enter upon this task in no light spirit and when i add that mr peacock proposes to give a prize of one guinea twenty-one shillings to the victorious poet you will see that a great effort is needed you will have a calendar month to prepare and execute your verses which must be composed outside the regular school hours and i may tell you that unless a certain humble standard of intelligence and poetic ability is reached i shall direct mr peacock to withhold his prize well there it was and of course a good deal of excitement occurred and it was jolly interesting to see who entered for the prize poem and who did not no doubt travis major would have won it without an effort being so keen about everything to do with war but luckily for the rest he had left to go to woolwich the term before 
Travers Minor entered because he was strongly advised to, being a flyer at literature in general and keen about poetry. But he said frankly he should not praise the war, but slate it because he utterly disagreed with it and hated war in general. Of course, the prize being a guinea made a lot of difference, and many unexpected chaps decided to write a prize poem, though most of these, when they sat down with pens and ink to do it, found such a thing quite beyond them in every way. I myself, my name is Abbott, was one of these, and after reading a good many real poems of the war, which Mr. Fortescue, who was a great poet and much interested in the competition, kindly lent me, i found on setting out to do it that the difficulties were far too great rhymes are easy enough to get in a way but when you come to string the poem together you generally find your rhymes aren't solemn enough i believe i could have written a screamingly funny prize poem but of course that wouldn't have pleased the doctor or peacock either so it wasn't any good wasting time being funny for instance i wrote the following poem in less than ten minutes the hun the hun the footling hun most certainly doth take the bun and blades and several other chaps said it was jolly good but blades who had also had a shot or two on the quiet was like me he could only make comic poems and the stanzas of his poem took the form of limericks he said he could invent them with the greatest ease in class or at prayers or at meals or going to bed or getting up or in his bath in fact at any time when he wasn't playing football he gave me an example which seemed to me so frightfully good that i thought very likely peacock would have given him a consolation prize so i tried it on peacock but mr peacock thought nothing of it and said that was not at all the spirit of a prize poem but belonged to the gutter press whatever that is it ran like this the kaiser set off for paris as if it was only a spree but old french's army it soon knocked him barmy and now he is melancholy he next had a flutter at nancy though doubtless a little bit chancy but his men got a doing with plenty more brewing so he galloped off saying just fancy there were hundreds more verses in fact you might say the whole history of the war as far as it had got and i advised blades to send it to the times to buck it up or a punch or something but he wouldn't and when peacock decided it was no use he gave up writing it so a good poem was lost in my opinion many fell out before the appointed day for sending in the prize poems but many did not and though it was natural that a good few chaps chucked it the extraordinary thing was the number of chaps who kept on to the bitter end so to speak and sent in poems almost the most amazing was mitchell he certainly had made a rude poem once in a moment of rage but as to real poetry a cabbage might just as well have tried to make a poem as him he was only keen about one thing in the world and that was money and of course that was why he entered the competition he said to me i'd do much worse things than make a prize poem if anybody offered me a guinea if it had been one of the doctor's wretched prizes i wouldn't have attempted it but a guinea is a guinea and as nobody here can make poetry for nuts i'm just as likely to bring it off as anybody else it's taking a risk in a way but i've got my ideas about the war just as much as travers minor or sutherland and if i don't win i shall get a bit of fun out of it anyway 
he was a mean beast always but cunning and frightfully crafty and as he had never had a decent idea in his life let alone a poetical one we were all frightfully interested in mitchell's poem on the war the chap sutherland he had mentioned was regarded as having a chance for he knew a lot about the war and had two cousins in it one in france and one with the fleet he got letters without stamps on them from these chaps but there was never much in them thwaites also entered and he was known to write poetry and send it home but it had not been seen and thwaites being delicate and rather fond of art and playing the piano and such like piffle we didn't regard him as having warlike ideas besides once when blades suddenly pulled out one of his teeth in class and bled freely over thwaites who sat next to him thwaites fainted at the sight of blood which showed he couldn't possibly write anything worth mentioning on such a fearful subject as war because you may say a war is blood or nothing only one absolute kid entered and this was percy minimus who had sent a christmas pudding to the front and had the photograph of a tommy back so he wrote a prize poem which he let his friend see and forbes minimus said it was good as far as he could say to the contrary no doubt it appeared so to a squirt like forbes minimus but of course it could not be supposed to stand against the work of travers minor or sutherland or rice i always rather thought myself that rice might pull it off being irish and a great fighter by nature unfortunately he didn't know anything whatever about poetry yet his fighting instinct made him enter and though he wasn't likely to rhyme very well or look after the scanning and the feet and the spondees and dactyls and all that mess which no doubt would count yet i hoped that for a simple warlike dash rice might bring it off i asked him about it and he said a good many things had gone wrong with it but here and there were bits that might save it he said i believe i shall either win the guinea right bang off or get flogged which interested me fearfully but didn't surprise me because it was rather the way with rice to rush at a thing headlong and come out top or bottom he only really kept cool and patient and never ran risks when he was fighting but at everything else which he considered less important he just dashed he had dashed at the prize poem very different from tracy who was always cool about everything and wouldn't have gone to the front himself for a thousand pounds tracy was great at satire in fact satire was a natural gift with him and though of course it didn't always come off owing to being so satirical that nobody saw it still he often did get in a nasty one and sometimes got licked for doing so he told me his prize poem was all pure satire and i said i doubt if the doctor or peacock will see it and tracy said i can't help that poetry is art and i can't alter my great feeling for satire to please them it will come out and even though old dunston and peacock don't see it i know jolly well the kaiser and the crown prince would if they read it well there it was and that was about the lot worth mentioning who had a shot at mr peacock's guinea the calendar month passed and one day when classes began the doctor appeared supported by peacock fortescue and brown everybody was summoned into the chapel and the doctor who dearly likes a flare-up of this kind told us that the prize poems had been judged and were going to be read 
i may tell you he said that the prize has been won contrary to my fear that none would prove worthy of it but we are agreed that there is a copy of verses on the solemn subject set for discussion that disgraces neither the writer nor merivale indeed i will go further than that and declare that one poem reflects no small credit on the youthful poet responsible for it and mr peacock and mr fortescue than whom you shall find no more acute and critical judges share my own pleasure at the effusion the doctor then began to read the prize poems and he started with that of percy minimus much to percy's confusion the views of percy minimus on the war are elementary as we should expect from a youth of his years said old dunstan i may remark however that he rhymes with great accuracy and if he shows an inclination to be didactic and even give lord kitchener a hint or two i frankly pardon him for the sake of his concluding line this reveals in percy minimus a flash of elevated feeling which does him infinite credit one can only hope that his pious aspiration will be echoed by those great nations doomed to defeat in the appalling catastrophe which they have provoked then he gave us the poem the war by percy minimus war is a very fearful thing i'm sure you'll all agree but sometimes we have to fight in order to be free the germans want to slaughter us and do not understand we are a people famed in fight and also good and grand we never were unkind to them and never turned them out when unto england's shores they came to trade and look about but all the time i grieve to say they only came as spies so that when came the dreadful day they take us by surprise which they did so, and if our ships had not been all prepared, the Germans would have landed, and not you or I been spared. Now all is changed, and very soon upon the Belgian strand, I promise you a million men of English breed will land. And thanks to good Lord Kitchener, their wants will be supplied with splendid food and cosy clothes and many things beside but he must bring the big siege guns when antwerp we shall reach because with these fine weapons we have got to make a breach so let us pray that very soon we smash the cruel hun and if by dreadful luck we lose oh then god's will be done we applauded percy minimus for his sporting attempt feeling of course it was piffle really but good for a kid then the doctor said he was going to read rice mr fortescue said dunstan has evinced the deepest interest in the achievement of rice he tells me that there is now a movement in art including the sacred art of poesy which is known as the futurist movement rice's efforts reminds mr fortescue of this lamentable outrage on the muses for it appears that the futurist desire to thrust all that man has done for art into the flames to forget the glories of greece to pour scorn on the renaissance to begin again with primal chaos in a world where all shall be without form and void this is nihilism and a crime against culture for some mysterious reason the boy rice who we may safely assume has never heard of the futurists until this moment appears to have emulated their methods and shared their unholy extravagance of epithets their frenzied anarchy their scorn of all that is lovely and of good repute he even permits himself expressions that at another time would win something more than a rebuke 
i will now read rice not for my pleasure or yours but that at least you may learn what is not poetry and can never be mistaken for poetry by those who like ourselves have drunk at the pyrian spring war by rice smash crash crash bang crash bang rattle 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 and crash again air full of puffs of smoke where shells are bursting overhead scream of shrapnel over the trenches and yells of rage roar of men charging and howling a savage song now we shan't be long tramp of feet then flop they fall dropping out here there and everywhere and rolling head over heels like rabbits and some sit up after the charge and some don't shot through the heart or head they roll gloriously over all in but on go the living shouting and screaming and some bleeding and not knowing it as loud as the jack johnsons they howl their rifles are at the charge and the bayonets are white the white arm that goes in in front and out behind or in behind and out in front of the germans running away the boche hates the white arm it sends him to hell by the millions crash crash squash smash 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 the trench is reached blood spurts and bones crack like china gurgles chokes yells helmets fly bayonets stick and won't come out everybody is dead or dying in the trench except twelve tommies dams growls yells choked with blood death awful wounds mess corpses legs arms heads all separate the trench is taken and england has gained a hundred yards hurrah 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 and what must it be to be there signed rice i looked at rice while his poem was being intoned by the doctor he had turned very red but he stuck it well and somehow though of course it was right bang off and no rhymes or anything i liked it and mr fortescue liked it as he afterwards told rice but the doctor and mr peacock fairly hated it so that was the end of rice they thought nothing of tracy's poem either the doctor said tracy has produced what for reasons best known to himself he calls a satire it possesses a certain element of crude humour which on such a solemn theme is utterly out of place upon the whole i regard it as discreditable in a sixth form boy and do not think the better of tracy for having written it he then read tracy a satire by tracy no doubt o kaiser you have thought napoleon was a duffer compared to you when you set out to make old england suffer but if you read your history books you'd very quickly find sir that bonnie knew despite his faults how to make up his mind sir you flutter up you flutter down you flutter night and day sir yet somehow victory won't look your mad and fluttering way sir but when the war by us is won and in berlin are men sir you'll be a bit surprised to find where you will flutter then sir we laughed and thought it ripping but the doctor seemed to be hurt and said silence silence boys it ill becomes us to jest at the spectacle of a fallen potentate and still less so before he has fallen a more pleasing effort is that of travers minor went on the doctor picking up the poem of travers we have here nothing to be described as a picture of war but rather the views of an intelligent and christian boy upon war personally i think well of these verses 
they are unostentatious no flash of fire but a temperate lament on war in general and a final conviction not lacking in shrewdness i will not say that i entirely agree with travers minor in his concluding assertion but he may be right he may be right at any rate the poem is a worthy expression of an educated mind and by no means the worst of those with which we are called to deal he then read travers minor and we were all frightfully disappointed for it turned out that travers hated war so the result wasn't a war poem at all but a very tame affair without any dash about it in fact very feeble i thought his brother would have despised him for writing it of course peacock wanted a poem praising up the glory of war not sitting on it like travers minor did the fog of war by travers minor from out the awful fog of war one thing too well we see that man has not yet reached unto his highest majesty for battle is a fiendish art we share with wolf and bear but man has got a soul to save he will not save it there this is the twentieth century we boast our great good sense and yet can only go to war at horrible expense of human life it makes us beasts we shout and spend our breath to hear a thousand enemies have all been blown to death and each of all those thousand men was doubtless good and kind as those no doubt remember well whom he has left behind and when i hear that war brings out our finest qualities i do believe with all my heart that is a pack of lies a deadly silence greeted the prize poem of travers minor and i believe the doctor felt rather sick with us for not applauding it and tracy who was very mad at what the doctor had said about him whispered rather loud that travers minor's efforts was almost worthy of hymns ancient and modern there were only three poems left now and the excitement increased a good deal because nobody had won peacock's guinea yet so it was clear that either mitchell or thwaites or sutherland minor was the lucky bargee both mitchell and thwaites seemed beyond the wildest hope and we felt pretty sure that sutherland must have done the trick but he hadn't the doctor picked up his poem and put on a doubtful expression i confess that sutherland gives me pause he said for skill in rhyming sutherland deserves all praise he is ingenious and correct but such is the faultiness of his ear that he flouts the fundamentals of prosody in each of his four stanzas in fact sutherland's poetry regarded as such is excruciating he has ideas though not of a particularly exalted character and even if he had given us something better worthy to be called a poem his lamentable failure in metre would have debarred him from victory his last verse contains an objectionable suspicion we might associate rather with a commercial traveller or small tradesman than with one of us well sutherland's wasn't bad really though rather rocky from a poetical point of view as the doctor truly said khaki forever by sutherland loud roars the dreadful cannon above the bloody field while like the lightning through the smoke's dim shroud the tongues of flame are flashing where concealed the vainglorious enemy's battery doth vaunt and laugh aloud thinking that men of british race are going to yield 
poor german cannon fodder little do they know that those who wear the khaki have never yet wherever at the call of bellona they may go surrendered to a lesser foe than death they've met far finer fighters than the boche and made their life-blood flow whether upon the open battle-front or in a trench or in a fort or keeping communications with such a leader as great general french the british khaki boys defeat all nations and in the foeman's gore their glittering bayonets they quench and they will win for right is on their side and when they do the neutrals shall not share the rich earned booty the allies divide for as they would not sail in and fight it is not fair that they should win the fruits of this bloody tide we could see what the doctor meant about sutherland's poem it didn't flow exactly but it might have been worse then dr dunstan picked up mitchell's poem and frowned and peacock frowned and fortescue also frowned we didn't know what was going to happen for the doctor made no preliminary remarks on the subject of mitchell he just gave his glasses a hitch and glared over the top of mitchell's effort and then read it out old england forever by mitchell oh now doth death line his dead chaps with steel the swords of soldiers are his teeth his fangs and now he feasts mousing the flesh of man rejoice ye men of england ring your bells king george your king and england's doth approach commander of this hot malicious day our armour that marched hence so silver bright hither returns all gilt with german blood our colours do return in those same hands that did display them when we first marched forth and like a jolly troop of huntsmen come our lusty english all with purple hands died in the slaughter of their teuton foes but to their home they will no more return till belgium's free and france is also free then to their pale their white-faced shore whose foot spurns back the ocean's roaring tides and coops from other lands her islanders even to that england hedged in with the main that water-walled bulwark still secure will they return and hear our thunderous cheers but belgium first unhappy stricken land which has we know and all too well we know sluiced out her innocent soul through streams of blood which blood like sacrificing abel's cries even from the tongueless caverns of the earth to us for justice and rough chastisement and by the glorious worth of our descent our arm shall do it or our life be spent the doctor stopped suddenly and flung his eyes over us naturally we were staggered and full of amazement to think of a hard blade like mitchell producing such glorious stuff any fool could see it was poetry of the classiest kind do you desire to hear more shouted the doctor and we said yes sir then seek it in the immortal pages from whence the boy mitchell has dared to steal it 
he thundered out and growing his well-known deadly red colour with predatory hand and audacity from which the most hardened criminal would have shrunk this abominable boy insolently counting on the ignorance of those whose unfortunate duty it is to instruct him has appropriated the bard to his own vile uses and his cunning has led him to interpolate and alter the text in such a manner that sundry passages are made to appear as one mitchell will meet me in my study after morning school i need say no more words fail me and they actually did which was a record in its way the doctor panted for a bit then he picked up mitchell's poem or rather shakespeare's as if it was a mouse that had been dead a fortnight and dropped it on the ground it was rather a solemn moment especially for mitchell and the only funny thing about it was to see the sixth of course they'd been had by mitchell just the same as us in the fifth in fact everybody but they tried to look as if they'd known it was shakespeare from the first as for mitchell he had made the rather rash mistake of thinking old dunston and peacock and fortescue didn't know any more about shakespeare than he did and now he sat awful white but resigned as a matter of fact he got the worst flogging he ever did get and had a narrow squeak of being expelled also it calmed him down for days afterwards and he was also called king john till the end of the term as a mark of contempt which he badly hated then the doctor snorted himself calm and his face grew its usual colour he picked up thwaites and ended with the tamest poem of all in my opinion which shows that grown-up people and boys have a very different idea about what is poetry and what isn't the verses of thwaites have won the poet's bay said dr dunston thwaites alone has written a work worthy to be called a poem his stanzas possess music and reveal thought and feeling neither technically are they open to grave objection i congratulate thwaites though not robust or a pillar of strength either in his class or in the field he possesses a refined mind a capacity of emotion and a power for expressing that emotion in terms of poetry that time and application may possibly ripen and mature such at least is my opinion and those who have sat in judgment share it with me he then gave us thwaites a twittering sort of stuff and interesting not because thwaites had got the poet's bay whatever that is but because he had landed peacock's guinea nobody much liked his prize poem except the masters and even thwaites himself said it wasn't any real good and it was written when he had a beastly sore throat and was feeling utterly down on his luck in fact he was going to call it lines written in dejection at merivale like real poets do only he got better before he finished the last verse and so did not to the earth by thwaites suffer sad earth no pain can equal thine thy giant heart must ever be a shrine for all the sorrows of humanity as one by one the stricken ages die the bright beams of the stars are turned to tears and howling winds that whistle down the years sigh sorrow 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 and are gone into the silence of oblivion suffer great world the poison fangs of death can only wound not kill thee lo the breath of everlasting dawn is in the wind 
the distant throbbing of a giant mind shall set the music of the universe once more in time with harmony coerce the discord of a warring race to seize and sorrow die within the arms of peace thwaites spent his guinea almost entirely on tuck and though he was very generous with it and shared the grub with the competitors rice and sutherland minor who were his friends he still kept enough to make himself ill again for it was one of the unlucky things about thwaites that any muck really worth eating always bowled him over he wrote a poem three times as long as his war poem called effect of coconut rock on the tummy of thwaites but Dunstan wouldn't have purred much over that. End of story eight.